funnily enough, the thing that took me by surprise was how good the conditions were at times. Like quite often there's sections of it that are really wet, really boggy and really hard to run in. And mm-hmm. um, this year the ground was relatively dry, so it went from being nasty and awful to run in and a kind of a nightmare to being actually just quite pleasant and running along quite happily here. This is what it's supposed to feel like, and this is probably why people enjoy going along this route this summer. Uh, so that was unexpected. Uh, there's a particular section I hate, really, really hate, because it's really boggy and really nasty. You get a lot of farm animals wandering around. It goes through farmland, so it can get very churned up. And it wasn't so bad this year, and that took me by surprise. Uh, plus, I was my times are a bit different, so I got to see... Um, some spectacular scenery up by Hadrian's Wall, the English-Scottish border, which is there's an old Roman wall there that's 2,000 years old, and this is the first time I've done it in daylight. So it was nice to actually look around and see it all and take it all in with enough gap in front and enough gap in behind that I could actually relax a bit and enjoy it. So that was unexpected. So, I mean, what else can you ask for? Most surprises, are, you know, are not always pleasant, but you had amazingly uh, good surprises. That's good to hear. And yeah, yeah, this year was. This year was. So, also, you know, tell us. So, you you crossed the finish line. You've broken the men's uh, record. You you won the race. What's going through your head? Uh, two years ago, I broke the record. This year, I was two hours behind my own record. But... Uh, And my own record got broken by um, this amazing female. Jasmine Paris, yes. Yeah, which was phenomenal. So I didn't quite make my record, probably because I slept a bit more. I was actually running faster and I could have broken my record, but I was doing that thing of uh, being a bit more relaxed about it. So I did a, no, the year I broke the record, I was not able to run up the last hill. Whereas this year, I actually really ran up the last table and up over it really quickly and even jumped on the finish line to, to, with the ecstasy of That's finishing. Amazing. So that was really unusual. Amazing. That's amazing. So would you say, okay, so the, let's talk about the year that you broke the record was, versus this year. It sounds like you enjoyed this year more, though. Um, they were more enjoyable. Um, <laughs> between breaking the record and this year, I've had uh, two DNFs. Um, so... When you've had two of those and you come back, you're going to be happy just to finish. And, you know, finishing and then unexpectedly gaining a place as well, because I only found out that the, the male runner in front of me had had to pull out with six kilometers to go. I only found that out as I was approaching the finish line. Wow. It was something I suspected could happen. But then I was going along thinking, uh, oh, I'm going to have a three, two, one finish. I'll be third in the race, second male, first over 50. Then it's like, oh, I'm actually going to be. First male, <laughs> second in the race, first over 50. That does, that's not a neat 3-2-1, but I'll take it. <laughs> so I was really, really happy with the Sunday. You know. <laughs> that's amazing. And of course, you know, you, you mentioned Jasmine earlier. So do you see yourself uh, attempting to break the record again and potentially hers? Because you're a competitive person who likes to challenge uh, himself. <laughs> I'm a competitive person, yeah. But to be honest, I think Jasmine is just faster. It's simple as that. And she has a natural skill set that's quite phenomenal. Uh, I've never seen anyone who is so good at sleep deprivation. So much so that when we're going, to, there's about five aid stations on the course. And I'm always tracking what people in front are doing and trying to figure out what people behind are doing. So I'd heard on the fourth aid station where I'd normally always get two hours sleep because I know the leg after that. If you get sleep deprived, it's really horrific. Mm-hmm. So I get two hours sleep there always to not go through that nightmare again because I did that in the first year. 
and uh, I, I, I heard that Jasmine had gone straight through, and I heard that Eugenie, who was behind her, uh, had taken 40 minutes sleep. And funny enough, my reaction was, oh, Jasmine would be fine, but Eugenie might be in trouble, because I just knew that Jasmine was handling it so well that she was probably fine with no sleep, whereas I knew Eugenie needs a bit more, and he was really pushing the limits there, which, as it turned out, was correct in both cases. Uh, but for Jasmine, it was her first time attempting a multi-day race, so it was really, it was awesome to watch it and see just how good she was. So with that level of talent, she's got huge speed, which is reflected in a lot of her earlier records, and uh, that ability to handle sleep deprivation, which is better than anyone else I've ever seen. Um, I don't think I can match her, her time. It's just too far out. <laughs> and, you know, we will talk... <laughs> Sorry, you broke off a little bit. I'll, I said, that won't stop me trying. I just don't really think I'll get it. <laughs> because you're a competitive person by nature, of course. Um, you, you know, we will talk much more about what you find challenging, but we still have to talk about records because you have a thing for setting records, <laughs> be it the 24-hour Irish record, 48, six-day. Um, I mean, you have a whole list of records that you've set. What is it about setting records that, you know, you, you chase it? And were you always this person? Um, I was always competitive, yeah, but I wasn't always running competitive uh, because I only started running when I was about age 30. And uh, I, in a lot of my 20s, my competitiveness was suppressed because I spent a lot of it doing hill walking and mountaineering, which are you know non-competitive sports. So once I got into running a bit more, then I got to let it loose and really start competing and chasing things. Then, you know... Quite often, uh, what gets me through the hard parts of the race is the competitive aspect of actually racing and racing against other people. Mm -hmm. And then if, if I'm in front, rather than racing people, then I can race time, you know. So there's always something to race. And, you know, even if it's a completely artificial time, even if you know you're breaking a record, you can, you know, set the target time you want to try and hit yeah. to. It. Just keep pushing it up and keep pushing it forward, you know. And... Uh, the nature of it varies. It's always good when someone else has done something before you and set a mark, you know, that's, that's always good to chase. So when it comes to competing, what do you enjoy most, beating other people or the achievement aspect of it, or both? Both, both. <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely enjoy the whole competition. And the great thing about ultra running is it's, it's friendly competition. Yes. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely there and we're all out to beat each other, but at the same time, you know, we're all very friendly and in, you know, races where it's dangerous, like the spine, we'll all help each other out and make sure everyone's safe. And that, that aspect of ultra running is great and the, the respect and, the, you know, the, the way that, you know, everyone will help each other out. I mean, some of my FKTs or times or whatever, I've, it's, I'm often helped by the people who have the, the, the current record. And likewise, if someone wants to come along and, and break one of my records, I'll always endeavor to try and help them. And that aspect of of ultra running is, is just fantastic and I love that whole ethos and atmosphere, you know. But still, I want to beat them all and I want to get the records for myself if I can. <laughs> well, that's the most healthy form of competition, isn't it? It's like, it's people that you have, you have this amazing community because everybody who participates in uh, long distance uh, running, endurance running, ultras, they talk about this beautiful community that exists and, and the camaraderie that is there. So uh, do you think that is a very big part of the draw? I mean, of course, the challenge and the competition and achieving something, but is the community a big part of draw for you as well? 
It is, definitely, yeah. It, it might not have been the thing that brought me into it originally, but it's certainly something that keeps me here and I, I hope will, will keep me here forever because it's not a community I want to lose, you know. It's, and it's worldwide, you know, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, you, you make friends all around the world, you know. It's true. And, you know, you have a pension for competing in really difficult, tough, and challenging races. Uh, I was there at the Barclay uh, last year when <laughs> you were there and you came in with a group of, like you said, the community, you, you, a group of you guys came in, even though none of you made the time, but everybody was in good spirits. You had a big smile on your face. You came and planted yourself at the trunk of a tree and announced that you had a broken collarbone. And I was there for that. And you had a big smile on your face. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> Ah, you know, you, you've got the, you just, that's the joy of finishing. And the Barclay is such a huge challenge. Huge. That, huge. And, uh, you know, no matter how much you hear it, until you get there and it, it really kicks you, and yeah. then you know, <laughs> you know, and we'd all got a good kicking on that lap. So, uh, and then just working together in the camaraderie, we actually had a brilliant time working around the course together and, and turned it into something extremely enjoyable as a result of, of working together. And, you know, and just, just the, the whole being there and being part of the barbecue experience, you can't, you can't but enjoy it. So, uh, a broken collarbone, it wasn't my first one, so <laughs> I knew how to handle it. <laughs> uh, it's an unfortunate, it's either fortunate or unfortunate trait of, uh, competitive people, I think, that, you know, you can take a lot of pain. Yeah. So you can kind of put it in the background and ignore it, which is what I was doing most of the time. You know, so for most of that lap, I didn't feel the pain of the of the broken collarbone. It was just, it was just something in the background. Except when I slid and fell on my side, then it hurt. <laughs> How's it doing now? Oh, it's fully cured now. <laughs> That's the good thing about broken bones; they heal in six weeks, as long as you don't do anything silly. So uh, they're kind of a nice injury to have that way. Uh, even when I got home to Ireland and went to the, the hospital to get it checked out, they, they only needed one visit. They said, you know, that that was a kind of a violent injury, but, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to heal itself. Now go away. <laughs> <You don't laughs> <see anyone. laughs> so, I mean, and arguably that last year was the toughest Barclay in, in a long time. And they talked about, uh, you know, the... It's so much fun sitting around and you know talking to Laz, and I had the good fortune of being able to do that, waiting for runners to come through. And he talked about this previous year where it was incredibly cold and everything, but but which was a very tough year. But even when I asked him, I was like, between it being cold and wet, which would you pick? He was like, I'd pick the cold any time <laughs> versus the wet. Would you agree? I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. The wet. The wet adds more challenge because it makes the ground so slippy, mm -hmm. you know, and the river crossing more interesting shall we say you're going to get swept away underneath the prison and we all came pretty close to it uh but yeah and you know cold dry cold is very very easy to deal with and being in ireland we know that that's actually far easier than damp even moderate warmth i've seen people in races in ireland get hypothermic in uh, 20 degrees centigrade because wow. of the dampness mm -hmm. you know in countries like ireland you can be somewhere where you're just not going to escape the dampness. There's no hiding from it mm -hmm. until you find somewhere indoors. And uh, it's a lot harder to deal with than dry cold, you know. So something like snow or, you know, anything that's 
you know, once the rain turns to snow, it actually gets easier. It you is. know, and the gear actually works better mm-hmm. in those conditions. Whereas when it's when it's warm and damp, it's actually far more dangerous and far more difficult to deal with. So conflicted mm-hmm. about what gear to put on. Do you put on your rain jacket and overheat, or do you try and take it off and then risk going too cold? You all these things you need to balance out. And yeah, it's far more difficult. So what we encountered in Barclay was uh, a nice. Uh, combination of let's just take the, the most difficult race in the world and add another level of difficulty. <laughs> unbelievable. Yes, it was it was unbelievable. You know, we were there shooting and we were, I mean, relatively dry comparatively, but it was it was uh, it was quite a, a sight to see every all the runners and everything, all the heart and soul that goes into that race. It was it's beautiful to watch. And of course, Laz has so much to do with it, and everybody has their favorite Laz stories. Oh, what 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 was your experience like? Tell us about your Laz story, favorite Laz story. I, I, I actually didn't didn't um, I didn't interact with Laz as much as I was hoping to. Funny enough, because I was too busy running most of the time or sleeping. <laughs> But I I think for me just just being there in the man's presence was just awesome. I was probably overwhelmed to be honest. Even approaching the yellow gate for the first time, it's like going onto a film set. It doesn't feel real. So, by what I was telling people afterwards, Laz came up to shake my hand and say, "Well done." After I got to the end of the race, that to me was a very special moment. And I, as I said to my friend who was supporting me, I wouldn't let anyone else shake my hand with a broken collarbone. But there's no way I would let, I would refuse Laz's hand, and I'll shake that man's hand any time. Any time. He's awesome. <laughs> he, he really is, and and what a personality, and I think that's a big part of the draw. And um, you know, obviously, we've talked about you know your pension for tough races. What are some of your favorite races uh, to run, and why? Well, the Barclay would definitely be up there anyway because it's such a huge challenge. And uh, what I what I've been saying about Barclay is your. You're out there with a bunch of winners, a field full of winners, you know, 30 or 40 people who have got there because they're so good, and they're all getting their, they're all getting kicked. They're all, you know, we're all, we're a bunch of losers when you're out there in the bar. You know, we were all losers last year. These are awesome people. You know, you get chatting to them, and you know, find out that I'm running with someone who's got a gold medal from the World 24-Hour Running Championships, or who's a, a three times uh, Spartan Race uh, World Champion. All oh, listen. Yeah, but we're all losing, you know. And the fastest man there, uh, Mike Wardian, didn't even finish a lap, you know. So it's, exactly. like, <laughs> it's a really special race for that. Uh, another race I like a lot is uh, on the international front would be uh, the Tour de Gant in Italy, yes. which is TDG, huge yep. race. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful and um, very technical too. Very technical, stunning, stunning course for the scenery. Just the first year I did it, uh, we got a full moon every night. Sorry, full moon the first night, and then near full moon the other night. And that just that actually turned the night times even more awesome than the daytime for scenery. Uh, so that I just really lucked out and had a really special year, and that was that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, a race I really enjoyed last year was the UTMB Oman, and it was the first running of that. And, and that turned out to be a really technical race, but I love running in the desert. So, uh, and but Oman was a nice mountain in the desert. So it was, it was a nice, much much more uh, rocky technical course than you'd expect for what's in an Arabian country, but very beautiful and and a great experience out there. 
and uh, had a really high attrition rate, but because uh, I think a lot of people weren't expecting it to be so technical. But uh, as a result, it was really rewarding and really, really fun to do. And plus, I like the heat living in a, a, a relatively damp, wet country. It's nice to go out into a, a dry, warm country and race out there. So that, that always helps. You know, you don't have to suffer in every race. It's sometimes good to get a good one. I love the spine, obviously, and I love the challenge of the spine. And, you know, because that's the race. Still, again, it's, it's, it's somewhat akin to the Barkley in that, you know, as, as Laz says, it's not, unless, unless it's difficult, unless it's challenging, you know, there's no point in doing it. And that's the spine is that. They hold it in January because January is the worst possible timing to put on a race there. And you get all these, as I was saying about that, wet cold and so on. Yeah. It's got really, it's, it's set up to, to be difficult. And I like that. And all that dark. So things like that, which are challenging. On the flip side, you know, a lot of those, I actually enjoy all those. For me, what's actually the most challenging is the... Uh, the flat ultras, the uh, especially the looped ones. Mm. So, you know, my first 24-hour race it was, it was quite a challenge. You know, I've gotten used to it now, but I don't think I ever do one where without finding myself at some point between 12 and 24 hours going, why am I doing this? <laughs> I always say never again. Why am I doing this? Why am I here? <laughs> this is the last one. <laughs> Oh, man, the six-day ones are even more challenging because they really load up, you know, and uh, they're so challenging that I've only done two because they probably intimidate, you know, and they actually, even though Barkley and Spine and so on are much more technically difficult races because they're so enjoyable, they're actually easier for me to, you know, I I have a stronger desire to go back, whereas the six-day race, I intend to go back to do one, but I have to work up to it because... It's quite a. It's probably a bigger mental challenge mm-hmm. as opposed to the physical challenges of the other one. So you have different, different challenges like that. But the advantage of things like twenty-four hour and six days, they're they're much more directly comparable, and you have this mm-hmm. great history, you know. And, and one of the things I do love doing is what I call running in the footsteps of legends, you know. And that's that's what you're doing in those races, you know. You're running in and it's cool footsteps, you know. You're running in all these great runners footsteps and i love them i love embracing that and being part of it you know my first multi-day race was across the years and you know i i was doing it because an irish friend of mine tony mangan had gone and done it a few years earlier and i'd heard all his stories and tony had actually won it so i was running in tony's footsteps but i knew i was also running in janice coors's footsteps and john giesler's footsteps and you know as it turned out joe fages i actually was running in his footsteps because we raced <laughs> That one. So, uh, you know, that's, I embrace that. I, I love that history of, of the, the 24 hours and the six days. And, mm-hmm. You know, the history of six days goes right back to the 19th century. Yeah. That's really That's long history. And yeah. you have talked a lot, of course, about how competitive you are and, you know, you enjoy challenges. So what would you say uh, personally... I know you talked about sleep depression, also uh, sleep deprivation being a part of you know the, some of the biggest challenges. But what are the biggest challenges that you face in long distance uh, ultra running? Is and what do you find more challenging, the physical aspect of it or the mental aspect of it? Oh, it 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 really is a, a moment in time thing, you know. Uh, and it, it also depends on the race you're doing because you know if you're running along in the spine and uh, the ground is terrible and it's dark and you're sleep deprived then you know what will be getting at me there would be more like 
can't go to sleep because it's too dangerous to sleep. Now I have to put up the sleep deprivation and that will be really awful and challenging. Whereas if I'm in a, a, a looped ultra and it was similar circumstance, approach, first of all, it'd be a different challenge because if I was sleep deprived, I'd just be measuring the clock and trying to work out, you know, will I gain more time by sleeping now versus and because I speed up afterwards versus shall I stay out and just push through it? So it's a different set of calculations, different challenges. So it's very, very specific uh, at any given point in time as to what the challenge is and what's the most challenging thing, you know. So who knows? I mean, that's I, I think it's something I've gained from an adventure racing background as well as that ability to take on whatever the challenge is because you get anything thrown at you in an adventure racer. It always gets thrown into your discomfort zone at some point because there's so many different sports that you're always at some point operating way outside where you want to be. So uh, that, that's a good learning factory for uh, for taking on challenges and just having to deal with things, whatever they are, and thinking on your feet. Uh, you know, quite often. Literally. It's like, oh. <laughs> 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 certainly in the early days, the, the most challenging thing was just simply tired feet mm. and getting tired. That, that seems to uh, be less of a problem these days. So it's the... the, 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 the Challenges that come more to the fore now tend to be more the mental ones of, of uh, sleep deprivation and things like that. Mm -hmm. And obviously to be an athlete of your caliber, you have to be very in tune with your body. Um, aware of, uh, you know, what are your abilities and what you can push through and when to take a break. And of course, with time and experience, you learn more and more. Um, so from, from an informed uh, point of view, what would you say are your... Um, attributes that help you in this very interesting and unique suffer fest of a sport yeah. <laughs> of long distance endurance running what are the unique uh, factors would you say that you have that help you with it and how much would you attribute to nature versus nurture good questions um one one we touched on earlier was the ability to take pain mm -hmm. and uh, it's funny because uh, I was discussing this with a fellow ultra earlier. You know, we're we're actually a, quite a lot of us are afraid of pain, as in you know, we're like anyone else. If a dentist comes near, you're gonna go, oh, <laughs> you know, needle, big needle. But at the same time, we can take this huge pain load and deal with it. You know, uh, so even though you don't like it, you've got that ability to deal with it. So I think uh, ultra runners in general, and certainly competitive runners in general. Um, can deal with a lot of pain and it's a really useful attitude to have. I think I remember seeing uh, uh, one of the Steve Prefontaine films where that's the quote that stayed with me. What made him the best? And he said his ability to take the pain was what made him that. And it's a horrible attribute to have, but it's actually a very good one. Uh, one thing, one of my attributes I think that is definitely takes me up a level is pacing, the ability to know how to run a good pace and what the right pace is to run for any given race and how to sustain that over the full length of the race. And uh, my, my, first, uh, my first ultra was a local 50k race here uh, in the hills and I did really well at that. Uh, and as a result of that I got picked for a 100k uh, small international race in Scotland, England, Ireland, Scotland, uh, Wales. And for that race, I ran the first 50k, well, I can't remember the length of the lap, but I ran the first 50k in about 16 minute laps and the second 50k in about 18 minutes laps. And I was disappointed that I dropped that because I wanted to run even splits. 
but this is this is a long time ago, 15 or 20 years ago. And so the results called, I put up all the lap splits of every runner, interesting enough. So I went around and I looked at all the lap splits and I realized that I had run the smallest gap of anyone. And I had sustained the, the even though I was disappointed, I'd actually done far better than everyone else in the race, even the all the runners who'd beaten me in terms of just holding my pace and sustaining it. And I realized that was the moment that kind of confirmed what I had the suspicion, which is this ability to pace out mm-hmm. and pace out. So it's what we were just saying earlier about that feel, knowing your feel, and that feel for pacing is really, really critical mm-hmm. because, you know, launching yourself into a 20, how do you pace for a 24-hour race? You can kind of work that out with math, but at the same time, you need to feel it and you need to work it start. And I always do my best the closer I get, the closer I get to even splits, and that's that's one thing I target. When I broke the Irish record, I had close to even splits, and I'd, I'd broken it once before. I think I had a bang on even split for that one. So it just shows when you get it right, you know, you, you pace it well, and that's when when the good results tend to fall out. Um, and that's you know, with six day races, the ambition is to try and do something like that, but it's so much harder. And then you take that and you apply it to a mountain where, you know, you have not just, you know, running around in the circuit where you can click off the time and it's all very easy to track the pace. But mountain, you need to actually feel it out, you know, and that's innate learning your body and, and knowing your body comes in because you have to know, if you do it by effort and not by speed, so you have to know what effort to run up the hills, what effort to run up down the hills, given where you are in the race at any given point of time, you know, when... Uh, when you're when you're holding back versus when you need to start pushing it out, I always describe it. It's very obvious in in the flat races. I I describe it as I turn to whoever's running at me and say, "Now we're ultra running." And so that's that point when I stop holding myself back, and I now start to put the effort to do exactly the same pace. You know, so that that to me is going ultra running when you get to that point. Uh, so um, that is a huge attribute, yeah. um, and probably one of the key ones, um, especially when it comes to the mountains, because so many people end up, what I say to them, you know, a lot of people discuss, this is my target, you think that's good, you think I'll, I'll be okay for that, and quite often they'll be planning, you know, go out and do the first whatever, say it's a 24 hour, do the first 12 hours, uh, you know, do do a little more distance than that and a little less in the second, I say, why don't you invert that, you know, and say, take it all back, you know, and try and negative split it. Yeah. You know, if you get it wrong, you can do a sprint finish. And I said, "Good luck with the sprint finish," because you don't see many of them in ultra runs. You know. <laughs> yes, you see a lot of people hobble up and collapse. <laughs> so it's really hard to do good pacing. You know, and there's no reason why you couldn't negative split any ultra run. Is, yeah. is my opinion. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that does set apart that the better runners mm-hmm. is they they run the whole race. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not go out and hang on. It's, you know, you go out at the right speed, mm-hmm. so that preferably you're finishing at, at something approximating mm-hmm. what you started with. Mm-hmm. That, that for me is the ideal. Yes. And even to this day, when I'm running 24-hour races, that's one of the main things I'm looking for, you know. Mm-hmm. So last year I ran the European Championships in uh, Romania, and out of the entire field, I was the one who had the fastest slow lap. My slowest lap was the fastest. Yeah, and I was very, very happy with that because that showed my pacing was really, really consistent and really good through the entire. 
you know, in a world full of, you know, in, in one of the most competitive races there is. So that's the kind of standards I'd be aiming for if I can get it. And again, that was done on field, you know, without really just a little bit of watching the watch at the start. After a while, you don't bother because it's not telling you anything that you, you can react to anyway. You have to, it's like, what pace you're doing? You're doing the pace you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so you've talked about your innate abilities. What is it, would you say, over time and experience is something that you worked on and are proud that now, you know, it's a part of your arsenal when it comes to, you know, something that helps you in the race? Yeah, well, the pacing would be part of it. That, okay. You know, even when I'm training, I, I would be training. I don't... Um, I don't train knowing the distance and the time. Mm -hmm. I only pick one, and usually it's time. I'll go out for a two-hour run and do easy, moderate, fast, whatever, uh, without actually checking Strava or whatever or recording, because it's over-information, but learning to feel it rather than to, you know, to do it by the watch. So it's actually, it's more than innate, it's, it's worked on as it's well. Definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, thing I've, I've worked on over the years, accidentally at first, and then deliberately once I discovered, you know, the theory to match the practice I'd already been doing, I could fine tuning it, was the whole fat burning thing and learning how to, you know, to run uh, on fat reserves rather than being constant feeding, 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 and even in having your body go into ketosis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't really go into ketosis. Well, I don't actually measure. Maybe I do, but I know that. Uh, you know, at the, the first six-day race I did uh, in New York, uh, I think I went pretty much five days eating almost nothing bar the odd occasional ice cream and things like that. So, so I knew I didn't need to. Uh, There's a lot of negatives to eating. Like, you know, you have to deal with it. You can upset your stomach. Yes. You know, what goes in has to come out. <laughs> and if you can skip all that, you save yourself little bits of time here and there, you know. And I worked, I was reckoning I'd gained about 10 or 15 miles mm -hmm. on the closest runner in that race by just the simple fact of not needing to eat as much. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of free time uh, to gain on people. And even I've used it in a competitive aspect where uh, a lot of people probably over drink as well. So I can go, I, I reckon there's no science for it, but I do think you can train yourself to, to need less water. And I can remember doing a, a, an off-road marathon and coming to the first aid station after about five or ten miles, whatever, and there was a lead pack of about five of us. And coming to the aid station, I accelerated to run through it as fast as possible because I knew these guys probably all expected to stop and pick up some water. So I was going too fast to do that. So I was either going to break the elastic band and ditch them uh, or they were going to have to follow me and I, was gonna, I knew that would mentally mess with their heads. So I love, <laughs> that's another good thing. I love the whole mess. The mental aspect of racing. So you get lots of advantages and things like that. And you mm -hmm. can train yourself to adapt to that. And that's something I deliberately do. I never eat and train. Ever, ever, ever. And very rarely uh, drink too much either, except on long runs on hot days. You know, cause you, can, you can adjust to it and you can get comfortable with it. And then when it comes to race time, there's huge advantages. You know, and especially if it's, uh, you know, there's obvious advantages of time in terms of even when you have full access to food, like in loop races, but if it's a non-loop race, you're out in the mountains, you have to carry all your food and carry all your water. You know, the gains become exponential. <laughs> you know, you're starting out less weight, you have less logistics to worry about, yes. and you know, you don't run out of things because you know, <laughs> you don't have to worry. If you do run out, you know, you can deal with it. So, it's, 
you know, training your mind to trust your body. That's quite a lot of it. Um, so uh, I know a lot of what I do over the years is actually working out those things and pushing the body a little and trusting the body, you know, and I feel it's one of my philosophies is question everything. A lot of the received wisdom and running is questionable. And I like people like Tim Noakes who question a lot and question a lot of his original thought patterns. So he pioneer of carb loading turns into the pioneer of uh, fat burning, you know, so you know, people like that are inspiring. So I, I like to question these things that I do all the time mm-hmm. around, you know, and see what happens. <laughs> so, I mean, talk, it, I, I love that philosophy because I, I also usually apply that to my life, like question everything. And even if you have a belief system, question it regularly. And if the answer is the same, then you know you can continue to believe in it, right? So th- that's yeah. really interesting. Um, so take us back. I'm trying, you know, we, we're getting a more of an understanding of you, Ian, as a, as a runner today. Uh, take us back in time. Paint a picture of young Ian growing up in Ireland. What kind of a kid were you? What kind of a child were you? What kind of things were you up to? And how do you think um, all of that shaped who you are today? What aspects of life that you went through back then? <laughs> It's a really interesting question. I, I think the answers are not the ones people would expect. I was a nerdy, unsporty kid. Uh, so what I was really into was a bit of science. I always, from the age of about four or five, I wanted to be one of two things, which was a, either a pilot <laughs> or a scientist. And I ended up doing science in college. Uh, no, I work, I'm now a computer person, so nerdy stuff has stuck with me, and you know, I still like it. Uh, and there's a, Ireland is quite a sporty country. We have four big ball sports mm-hmm. in Ireland. They're hugely popular, and I was equally rubbish at all four of them. Sports <laughs> 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 or whatever, I'd be the guy, you know, not picked for the teams. I'd be with the other nerds, thrown off on the side, you know, go entertain yourselves over there, you know, try not to kill yourself. That would have been me. And in fact, my first, uh, my first sport that I was any good at, which was pitch and putt, which is mini golf, basically, and that. Uh, that allowed me to unleash my competitiveness, actually. That's what I enjoyed about that. In retrospect, the, whole, the sharp competition is what I enjoyed. That was shooting me in as a competitor. So as I, as I moved into my teens, I just became a really hot shot pitch and putter. And then when I went to college, I actually uh, decided to take up a bit of hill walking because uh, some friends of mine went to it. And after years of deriding them for, what are you doing going out into the mountains? They dragged me out. And I loved it. So that opened up a whole different world. So my 20, my early 20s were a conflict between going out hill walking versus going out golfing. At that stage, I moved on to a bit of golf. And uh, I wasn't a very good golfer, unless I was close enough to the green because I was a very good mini golfer. <laughs> so, uh, but they both took a lot of time. And then I worked out. Golf became a counting mistake. You know, you know, you can never have a perfect day. Golfers. You can have a perfect day. So I thought, okay, I'll drop the golf. I'll concentrate more on the hill walking. Uh, and that's what sort of started turning me into the person who I am today because mm-hmm. I was meeting these people who were into the outdoors and more and more outdoor people. And um, eventually a few of them said, oh, we're going to be running the Dublin City Marathon. And then I was just, okay, I'll go along and I'll try it as well. So I, 
I can actually remember the day I decided I was a runner. It was uh, the last long run before my first marathon, and it was with three of my, my hill-walking mountaineering friends. And these are people who I'd have been uh, following around and, and sort of aspiring to emulate. And uh, on, it was a, a big public park in Dublin. It was a 10-mile loop around it. So we'd done two laps, and then we had about a mile, two miles up the middle to get back to the car. And as we turned to run that loop, that last mile or two up to the car, I was in such good shape that I just took off and sprinted. Um, Everyone just went, ah, leave them at it. The other two were competitive like myself, so they chased me down. I dropped one after about 50 meters, and I dropped the other after about 200 meters, and I just kept going all the way to the car, and I knew I was just blowing those guys away. I must be good at this, because, you know, these are the guys I was looking up to, so obviously I'm a good runner. And actually, as a result of that, I adjusted my targets, and I said, rather than going for three something whatever I was trying to beat three hours in the marathon and I did I ran 257 so that's what it confirmed it if I could run two, you know under three hours in my first marathon okay this is a good sport I like it <laughs> I'm competitive <laughs> let's see how far we can get that and I actually took it wasn't long afterwards that I started making big decisions you know in, in life at that stage do I um do I concentrate my focus and effort on my career or do I concentrate my focus and effort on the sport? And I made a conscious decision to concentrate it a bit more on the sport because my thinking was uh, I'm still young enough that if I'm any good at this, I can see, you know, see how far I can take the sport and come back to the career afterwards. No big deal if I lose a couple of years in the career. Whereas if you're just concentrating the career, you can never really come back to the yeah. sport. If you come back to your 50, just then going, I wonder what I could have done. Yeah, not everyone is Marco so, Omo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, it was quite conscious of that stage that, you know, that I would turn myself into this more sporty version of myself, which is almost entirely the opposite of what I was as a child. Pretty much entirely the opposite, to be honest, because I'd have been totally all about the mind and, you know, science and, you know, the, probably the most entertaining thing for me as a child was watching science documentaries and, you know, things like that, you know. So it was, it was a definite turnaround going from from uh, the young version of me to the, the, the slightly older version. Mature is definitely not the word, but <laughs> older. <laughs> so, of course, you've painted this, you obviously a storyteller, and you've painted this amazing picture of, you know, <laughs> what you were as little Ian through the life and uh, discovering running. So if you were to talk to yourself back in the day, what advice would you give yourself? Um, that's a good question. I would have probably just advised myself to, uh, <laughs> a few funny ones. In, in college, I'd advise myself to... Uh, Spend less time studying and more time enjoying the whole college experience because I was quite studious and I did rather well at college, whereas I missed out on some of the more social aspects. And looking back at it now, I, I, I have a whole youth is wasted on the young <laughs> uh, viewpoint in that one. Um, so yeah, I'd probably just and probably tell myself just try a few more things and don't don't hold back and, and be as conservative as I was back then. I was lucky in that I had some some good friends who who figured out life a bit better than I had at that stage and they dragged me into the more interesting side of things, which is good. <laughs> they dragged you into enjoying life more. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ireland's a good country for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, yes, I am aware of that. So if you were to say, how do you how do you strike that balance between, you know, having this really intense training, uh, you know, uh, schedule and uh, work and social life and, you know, fam- like obligations and this, that. How do you how do you strike that balance? That's an interesting one. Um, you have to work it out for yourself what your priorities are, you know, because the answer is different depending on what your your life priorities are. So for me, uh, running is a lifestyle, mm-hmm. and that's my decision. So I used to watch a lot of television. Now I watch almost none, um, you know, and that's because I knew I had to get a lot of time from somewhere. So five hours or whatever watching television a day in my early twenties is all gone now because that's that's the running training time. And, you know, you can you can organize things and just reprioritize things. So I still fit in a full day's work, but I do things like I cook a big dinner uh, on Sunday and bring that into work. So I'm having my dinner at lunchtime and work. Then I don't have to cook dinner or worry about dinner in the evenings. But, so that creates a bit more time. And, mm-hmm. you know, just finding with the time here and there and working out how to schedule it all. Plus, you know, I'm married, so I have to make time for my wife. My wife is. Uh, we met through running, so that helps. Mm-hmm. So you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. going in the same direction that way. But um, so you, you just balance it as best you can. And you know, the whole question. Uh, one question that often arises: Would would it be better to be full time? Because uh, I'm not a full time professional athlete. I'm totally an amateur. Uh, you know, with a full time job. And I think there's huge advantages to the amateur side of it because you take away that dependency. And there's danger of losing the whole joy of it. Because um, I have friends who work in the outdoor industry, and they they do say there are days when you know it gets them that you're. It, it can become a drag. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's important to to realize those times. Because uh, even even as an amateur athlete, you can you can get uh, bored with the training, and it becomes repetitive and dull. And it's important to recognize that and uh, change it. You know, you have to change something at that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes, what it could, I look at, try and look at the upside of everything. So the upside of injuries is you ha- you should stop, back it off for a bit, let the injury heal itself, so that you're good to go long term. But then you'll come back from an injury just dying to get back to the training, and you'll relish the training. So you can go from the point of being drudgery to well, hey, I'm back out, I'm running, I'm flying along. This is great. So you know, you take the upsides from everything. Mm-hmm. And, don't get an injury to interrupt you then quite often what I, I you know one of the things I do is I mix in a lot of cycling because I used to do a lot of adventure racing I used to do a lot of cycling and a lot more kayaking um, but I love cycling so I do keep it mixed in as much as I can and just that mixing around is good to do you know not always be doing the same thing just something so and even new routes just changes do things a bit differently challenge yourself here and there but you know Never get stuck in that mental rush. That's mm-hmm. that. I think the key. You know, <laughs> the, that's that's good advice actually for those listening out there. Mix it up and keep it keep it keep it exciting. Um, you talked yeah. about uh, you know as an amateur racer, it's got its uh, positive sides, but it can also be challenging. And some of those challenges get dissipated when you get a sponsorship, like you did. What was that like? How did that change the game up for you? You know, getting the sponsorship from Colombia. Um, not too much. I mean, um, it's 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 for what Colombia give me is they give me they give me gear, they give me you know 
clothing, the, the shoes, etc., etc. And I'm also a tester for them, so I get access to new stuff and I get input into the new stuff as well, which is fantastic. Um, one of the one of the things that works really well between me and Columbia is because I'm the nerdy background. I'm actually pretty good at. at quite often I'll see the new technology. I'll figure it out for myself what's going on, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I think I, I'm pretty good at giving feedback to them, you know, in quite useful terms of what's working, what's work, not working. And the, the nerdy side of me works very well there. We have a nice symbiotic relationship going on. Um, so what I get from Columbia is it, it, it is a little bit more freedom that I know my gear. I've accessed some of the best gear. They actually don't put me under any pressure to wear any of their stuff. I only wear what I choose to wear. Mm-hmm. But uh, the vast majority of it is, is so good that it's not really <laughs> an issue. I would definitely choose to wear it. I'm usually looking for more of it. Uh, but some, some stuff is, is non Columbia. There's no problem with that. Mm-hmm. You know, again, staying honest is important to me. You know, so I don't, I don't run around saying Columbia is the best mm-hmm. because filters. This is the best jacket. This is the best waterproof jacket I've ever used because it genuinely is, and I've used it to save my life out in the middle of the, the spine race, hammered by a hurricane. You know, so that's the advantage of Columbia, uh, and it's great uh, having them having a big company occasionally behind you. There's a lot of advantages. I went to the UTMB one year, and uh, the airline lost my luggage going out. The guys just said, "Come on, let's go." The least I was in Chamonix, which is the outdoor capital of Europe. So there was a, a whole range of gear shops. So we just went shopping and got everything that was needed to, to take part. And it was, you know, having that kind of support behind is great. And there, there's a real family atmosphere in true Columbia, actually, which I, I really like. So that's been great. And it, it kind of accidentally fed it. Well, not so much accidentally. I was suggested by by one of my friends and one of my old adventure racing teammates that had an outdoor magazine and she said they were looking for people to sponsor so mm-hmm. the right place at the right time and I got suggested so and it's just worked so well ever since so I mean that's great but you know I'm still amateur I don't get money from them uh, so <laughs> still my own furrow that way but mm-hmm. it, it's having that that's behind you for sure. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about, um, you know, obviously getting su- uh, support as far as gear and everything is concerned from Colombia. And you touched upon this a little bit earlier, but I, w- I would love for you to go into depth about this um, support system. That's obviously a very important part to be able to continue to keep running the way you are and also thrive at it. You need a support system around you, be it your crew, be it family, friends, everything. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, I think it's important to, I, I would regard uh, the, the running and the sports side of things as the unstable part of my life. And I think when you have an unstable part of your life, it's really good to have a, the rest of your life stable because you can't deal with everything being unstable. So that's where family is really important, you know, things like that. So if, and, you know, in my case, even having a, a, a job I like, you know, which is a nice full-time job, but it's it's something I like doing and it's very stable and very steady and you know that all helps and it's nicely anchored I don't take risks there whereas I take the risks when I'm out racing uh, you know I'd happily risk my life in certain circumstances racing but I wouldn't take a risk of my job kind of thing you know because that's that's stable um, and likewise you know it's great having the stability of, of having uh, my wife and that whole part of domestic life nicely settled and sorted. You know, obviously, it 
you can't take it for granted, but it's stable. So I think that's really, really important. To, you know, it actually allows you to be slightly more risky in in the sporting side. That's the way I look at it, anyway. <laughs> Well, that's 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 really lovely to hear, and of course, having a support system is is just the emotional side of it is also you know wonderful. And when when you cross that finish line, those are the people you're looking for. <laughs> you, yeah. yes. It's better if it's halfway through that you have uh, your support crew there that are helping you, you know. And you've, you know, I'd even count you know uh, a lot of races have volunteers who you see over and over again, and they're all part of the support mm-hmm. system as well. And uh, you know. As as runners, I'm so grateful to all the volunteers in races. You know, it, it's it's relatively easy to pay our money and go and run a race. It's quite a selfish thing to do. <clears throat> Whereas uh, you know, being a race uh, supporter, you know, or being a race volunteer is quite altruistic in comparison. I have huge admiration for people who do that. You know, in a race like the the UTMB, that's two thousand volunteers. You know, who are part of the whole support structure for that race and you know those are awesome people for me you know <laughs> and uh, it really is there's like so many supporters and like uh, every almost every ultra that you go to the people there who are you know volunteering and supporting it's they get so much joy from you know uh, from the process it's it really is it's i guess that's why you know there's such a symbiotic relationship um Now we've ta- we've talked about so many things. Now I would like to know more about you know we have a bit of idea. Obviously, you like golfing, bicycling. What are some of the other activities you find you find yourself craving to do when you know not to do with running? Cycling is probably the main one. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, most of my holidays at this point in time are running and racing. And uh, really, uh, my wife and myself go away at Christmas, and we have a fun holiday together usually. Um, But quite a lot of the time of that is probably half of that has spent me on the bike. So <laughs> that's definitely one of those things that we have free time. Mm-hmm. The other thing I do is uh, I, I, I retain my interest in just general knowledge, current affairs, politics, uh, and science. So I do a lot of uh, reading. Uh, the thing that has got me reading far too much at the moment is uh, the whole Brexit politics that's oh. going on. In- <laughs> yeah. I'm currently six days behind my reading schedule on that one because it's all very interesting at the moment. So I've actually been a bit of a political nerd for most of my life, and uh, that 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 will keep you busy. So of course, there's the physical side, uh, the physicality side that you keep yourself engaged with, and and the brain, which is actually also yeah. when you think about Barclay and most of these races, you have to be. Uh, you know, uh, most of the people over there are very intellectual people as well. So you, it's it's very really? interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting actually. And one of the things about Barty actually is uh, I finished the first lap, and I don't think I've been so mentally exhausted in a long time mm-hmm. as finishing the first lap of Barty because the amount of concentration it takes to, you know, it's one thing to to be following people around, but I was trying to keep up and follow the right people around who knew what they were doing. No, but also knowing that I. Needed to do my own navigation at some point, so every second out there, I was trying to learn, trying to absorb, so that I could do the whole lap backwards on under my own steam. So that was 12 hours of concentration, mm-hmm. working, remembering, observing, taking it in, as well as you know, Barty Lads was giving you seven sheets of instructions which are written <laughs> in lab form, which 
It's hilarious. They're entirely accurate. You just only work it out afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's what that meant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a lot of content. You're standing there with a map and a compass. Uh, you know, that you have to draw sure, out yourself as well. Like you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's actually, it's actually very intellectually demanding, Devarki, as a race. And that's one of the, uh, the things, one of those uh, tools in the toolbox that you need mm-hmm. is, you know, quite a lot of it is in the head rather than uh, in the legs, you know. Mm-hmm. And I love that aspect of running, that, that I actually um, probably, I've, I always say I prefer to outthink people, outrace people than outrun them, because mm-hmm. outrunning them is just, you know, mm-hmm. training or natural attributes. But outthinking people, it's like, It's like winning a chess. It's actually, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like when you don't drink and when you go through the station <laughs> to mess with the heads. It's that part of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I have a few competitors in Ireland who are quite similar that way. And uh, yeah, we're always, we're always hammering at each other in mentally rather as much as physically. And it, it makes really, really interesting. One of the more interesting races I've done is a race here in Ar- that used to be on here in Ireland called the National Adventure Marathon. And it was a form of an adventure race, but Every part of it involved brain work, which is what made it really interesting. So even the simplest part was you do a hill run, but it wasn't straightforward. You had teams of four. So they would give you a description of the hill run and a profile, and you'd have it for a couple of hours, and then you'd have to submit a time that you thought your team could do this hill run in. And if you, then you'd go, go do the hill run without actually having seen exactly what it is, just a description on the profile. And if you went... Oh, if you ran faster than your estimated time, you'd only get given your estimated time. But if you ran slower than it, you'd be penalized four minutes for every minute you were over. Oh, wow. So there was a huge amount of competitive working out. How much do you want to risk? How fast are we? Who's the slowest person? How much faster can we get him as a team? This kind of thing. You know, so huge amounts of intellect, even for the simple one. And then some of them are even far more complicated than that, you know, like. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite ones was uh, an orienteering stage where he split the team in two. Uh, to, uh, what, what would they call it? Component A. Uh, the A side would be given the B side map and a walkie talkie, and the B side was given the A side map, walkie talkie. And, got... <laughs> yeah, so and this is a race in Ireland, too? Yeah, it was. And that, there was so much mental stuff to work out in that. It actually. Anyone who was doing it was learning to be really mentally, the mental aspects of racing were really drilled in with that. So it was that is, really, really good. And it does sound very Irish because it's like, yes, there are challenges, but there's a little humor in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, you're obviously, yes, you were saying. Uh, that, that actually, that, that evil humor, as I call it, makes the... Uh, meant that when it comes along to, to Laz, who I yes. regard as an evil genius in, in the way he constructs the races, um, I've been dealing with the evil geniuses before, so I was actually quite prepared yeah. for that side, which is often what intimidates people that said the likes of the Barclay, but to me, I, I, I embraced it, I loved it, you know, so I wasn't at all intimidated in the whole con shell and the blowing and all that, I was loving that, you know. <laughs> the lighting <laughs> of the cigarette, yes. Yeah, <laughs> There are not that every... many cigarette lightings that are celebrated as much as Laz's cigarette writing, lighting. No, no, absolutely. But yeah, so, and the other thing about you know, keeping the, the brain active is it's one part of training as well. Like when I go out for a big, long training run, I'm alone with my head for five or six hours in the mountains. Mm. On my own. So you do a lot of thinking out there. Uh, 
but the strange thing is, I know I've, I've been thinking for five or six hours, but if you asked me what I was thinking, I couldn't tell you five minutes later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just a lot of alone time where you're mm-hmm. worrying around your head. So mm-hmm. it's really in that way. So yeah, when I when I do get back then and I've got my time and I'm doing a bit of reading and actually putting more stuff in is good because it definitely fills the brain with something to think about when you go back out again. <laughs> definitely. It's, you're obviously, Ian, you're obviously a storyteller and part of that side of you, you also exercise by blogging. Uh, tell us about your blogging. How did, how did you start doing that? You obviously like reading, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. But how did the blogging come around and what do you enjoy about it? I, I enjoy... Uh, I try and make my blogs honest mm-hmm. as in, uh, and detailed mm-hmm. and really get in that whole mental side of racing, which I think a lot of blogs, I don't want to write a, well, I went to the race, I ran fast and I won kind of blog. I wanted to get into the whole, this is how the race progressed mm-hmm. and this is what I was thinking and this is what I thought the other people were thinking and that, as I say, the more chess playing aspect of it. So I like to kind of, kind of get more of that into the blog. You don't, you don't see it as much in a lot of the blogs, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, the information out there is, is about much more physical stuff, the training, uh, the nutrition, and so on. And that, that's all very good, and I all read it all as well. But I like to try and put a bit more of the mental side in as well. And as I say, keep it honest and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, be very direct. And, you know, I, again, I mentioned it before, my friend Tony Magan is another guy who writes interesting blogs. He ran around the world. I think he was the fourth person ever to run around the world. And while he was doing it, he was blogging it. Mm-hmm. I used to love Tony has no filter <laughs> straight from his head onto the page and I love that so you really get a great insight as to what's going on on a day-to-day basis over what was for him a four-year adventure and that was fantastic so I, I like to do a little bit of that unfortunately at the moment I'm, I'm not getting as much time to write the blog as I'd like and I'm blaming Brexit for that because I'm <laughs> Just so far too much to read up on. So hopefully they'll be out soon and I can get my time back. <laughs> but like you said, it's like it's like the you know coming back from an injury. When you come back, you'll probably blog with a gusto too. Hopefully, yeah. I certainly have a lot in my head that I want to pile out. I know a few race reports to do. The fine one is currently half written, so mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get at that. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was quite happy with the, my pre-spine race because I managed to predict the race really well. So <laughs> that's good. If only I'd put some betting money on, I could have made a lot of money back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Talking about predicting things and um, 10 years from now, how do you see yourself? Or in your ideal situation, how would, how would you picture your life 10 years from now? What I know is that whatever I predict won't happen. <laughs> no plan will contact the reality. You know, and if I, you know, I, I look back and I say, when I was 30, what would I have thought when I was 20? When I was 40, what would I have thought when I was 30? And so on. And it, it's rarely where you're anything remotely close to it. So uh, really hard to predict. So I, the main thing is just to be still engaged with what I want to be doing, whatever it is, and have a bit of flexibility about it because anything could happen in the meantime. Like, you know, stuff happens, so I might be able to run and, you know, I always say, well, if I can't run, hopefully I can cycle. If I can't cycle, then hopefully I'll find something else. But anything to just be engaged and still finding interesting things to do in life. So that's, that's the main thing, to be, to be still alive, to be doing interesting things, you know, and hopefully, 
you know, with my wife, Helen, and, you know, keeping it all together and all going. But just the simple things, really. So I don't have any massive ambitions. I, the, the furthest in front I plan is a year or so. So mm-hmm. in January, I kind of would have a vision of what races I'd be doing for the rest of the year. Not an exact vision, but just a, a rough idea. But that's about it. I wouldn't look beyond that too much. So share the rough idea for 2019 with us. A relatively quiet year, because that's a recovery year for me. Mm-hmm. So the, the only things I have penciled in really firmly at this stage is uh, the Irish 24-hour running championships, which uh, are uh, uh, will be a qualifier then for the European, or the, North, the World 24-hour running championships. So hopefully those two. Uh, UTMB. Uh, I've DNF'd the UTMB for the last three years, so I need to stop doing that and get back out there and just have a nice, restful, enjoyable race and finish it for a change, because <laughs> I'm now three and three, three finishes and three DNF, so I need to, to get it back on the positive side of things. Uh, I'll probably, well, I'm, I'm looking at UTMB, UTMB Oman again, I enjoyed it so much last year that I would hope to get back again mm-hmm. so for me that's relatively quiet that would just be one two three four five uh long ultras uh having already done the spine uh, so it's it actually sounds a lot when you say it but it's actually quite spaced out so <laughs> to me it seems relatively quiet <laughs> so whatever else comes along but I, I am definitely going to relax a lot more this year and uh give myself a bit of a recovery year and uh the mileage down a bit maybe hopefully get a bit faster as a result, might lose a bit of endurance, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I have a long, longer term plan that I will get back and do a, a, a really competitive six day race, the one that really, really, really scares me. So that's... <laughs> Sometimes I have a little habit if something is too big, it, just, it becomes a next year. That happened to me with uh, my... My favorite of my FKTs is my record for running the length of Ireland. Yes. Because that was my most perfect run mm-hmm. uh, as far as I'm concerned. And there's also But a beautiful a, film out there for those who want to, uh, yes. Yeah, it's a great film. An amateur filmmaker just called me up and said, do you mind if I take some film? And he, yeah, he put it together a great thing. So, uh, and my support crew did a great job of putting together some funny uh, videos along the way as well. But... Um, It was one of those things I'd had in mind for at least 10 years, but every year was so the calendar was full, where would I fit it, you know, and it's a big logistical exercise. And, you know, so uh, two years ago, I eventually figured out, okay, there's a window here, I'll take it. All I need to do is find small enough support crew, and I got the right people, and boom, let's just do it. And uh, so, yeah, something big like that. I can put it on a, a next year plan, but next year can always be next year, next year as well. So you have to watch Or 10 years one. later and you're still okay with it. Yeah. I do have a few of those. Like I do, there's a whole pile of things I, I have in my mind that I could do when I'm retired. When I, you know, because, you know, you can't run across the continent when you have a full-time job because you're not going to get two months of holidays to run across the continent. So, you know, there's all these things that are there for the future at some point when uh, the, the balance changes somewhat. You know, there's, that, there's always a balance in life between time and money. 
you know, you, you're you usually if you're rich in one, quite often you're poor in the other. So <laughs> working out where to place that balance can be quite awkward sometimes, uh, unless you're really, really wealthy or you figure it out really well. And I'm not really wealthy, so I'm balancing it all the way the whole time. So that that kind of puts the race limit at about five or six days, or you know, two weeks max. Realistically, that's all you're ever going to get out of a, a full-time job. <laughs> so, uh, but at the same time, I'd love to try something like the, you know, running across the U.S. or running across, you know, a big thing like that, or even even running the length of the U.K., which is why you know it's two-week thing potentially. But not right now. I don't have the time right now. But the time will come. <laughs> hopefully, the time will come. and and hopefully we'll have you back. on our show and uh, give us an update at that point with all your adventures or maybe even sooner Ian. hopefully hopefully that would be great <laughs> well, it was wonderful talking to you Ian it was I enjoyed myself very much and you know we got a lot of insight and inputs from you which I'm sure the viewers will find very helpful and congratulations on your win again and thank you for giving us your time and it was wonderful thank you for coming It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was great. Thank you so much. You take care. Bye.